Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk specifically about congregations and congregations of record and what the original church was doing, how it was operating, where it was uh, uh, operating from, and how it was organized. It was a, a vast organization <clears throat> that covered a, a broad area. It was the entire social welfare system of early Christians. It took care of all of their social needs, their social uh, interaction as far as the needs of society when things break down was dependent upon the uh, viability of this huge network of the church. Uh, someone had recently said that the early church, as we see in Acts, was small congregations. And that's actually not really true. There were small congregations, and almost every uh, congregation was a group of 8, 9, 10, 12 families that gathered together for a particular purpose. It was the purposes of Christ, which was to set us free from the sin of coveting our neighbor's goods. The sin of coveting our neighbor's goods also led to the sin of dishonesty, of uh, selfishness, of lying and cheating and, and robbing uh, each other, and eventually led to wars. Remember when the people of Israel chose to have a central government, chose to have a king that could exercise and rule with authority over the people in order to fight their battles and solve their problems. That was called a rejection of God. And that rejection of God was absolutely... Uh, complete and prophesied as to what was going to happen, that once you started down that road of looking to leaders who could exercise authority, they would take and take and take and take more and more and more because you would be electing rulers who could exercise authority and sought that authority and sought that power instead of choosing ministers who sought to serve the community. It took a special kind of member of the congregations of the Israelites because they formed congregations as well. That's where you find the word congregations more often is in the uh, Old Testament. You only find the word congregation translated once in the New Testament. And that one place that you see it translated congregation is they were translating the word synagogue into congregation. Most of the time that word is translated like it says into the word synagogue. And that's where people met. That's where the Pharisees met. If the Sadducees went to any kind of church organization, they would meet at the synagogue. And they were usually uh, centrally located in communities. But originally, the 
organization of Israel was divided into these tens, hundreds, fifties, and thousands, where ten families gathered together, picked a minister of their choice from a pool of ministers who were called Levites. They were appointed by Moses, but chosen by the people individually, and they served the tents or tabernacles of the congregation. We see that phrase, tabernacles of the congregation, same phrase would be tents of the congregation, and it would be like saying the homes of the congregation. What congregations? Those congregations of ten families. It's amazing when you study actual history instead of opinions of history and impressions of history, you'll see that those uh, patterns of ten families is found throughout the history of the people of Europe in uh, Italy, in what became France, in Great Britain. They had these tens, hundreds, and thousands. Even in Germany, uh, they hundreds that were formed out of ten families who would gather together and pick a minister. The Teutons did this. The Celts did this. This was the way they organized themselves by ways of uh, free assemblies united by a network of ministers who cared as much about their rights and their life as they cared about their own because those ministers had to be ministers of service. They weren't there to tickle your ears. They weren't there to make you feel good about who you were. They weren't there to justify you in your ideas. They were there to serve the community. Service was actually service to the community by way of these ten family congregations. This is how they formed a network of uh, selfless uh, social charity where free will offerings by the perfect law of liberty help take care of the needy of their society. Now, in order to do that, you had to develop relationships with the people. You had to know who to trust, who to honor, who to be a part of, and who to shun, because that's what we are told from such, stay away. And they list off the kinds of people that you would be staying away from, backbiters, uh, people who argue, forever learning but never coming to an understanding, um, people who really are still eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, people who are people who want to have, almost lord it over you because they have an intellectual knowledge, and you're supposed to come to their church or their house or their living room and sit there in chairs and listen to what they have to say and follow their spiritual direction. The the leaders of the church simply lead in service because they don't come to rule over you. They come to serve. They come to, you know, go get you a drink of water. <laughs> Literally, that's the kind of person that you're going to find to be a good minister. Many of the people that I would suspect would be good ministers today, if you ask them, they will say, oh, well, no, we're not a minister. Uh, well, no, we're, we just like to help people out. We're not a minister. But that is what a minister is. They are people of service. Yes, they will have a certain 
knowledge of the scriptures. Yes, they should have a certain understanding of the biblical text, but it comes naturally because it's written in their hearts and it's written in their minds. And that's the, that's the kind of people we need to seek out as our ministers, people of service. We've tried looking out and looking for men of authority, men who want to exercise authority, men who want to make laws, men who want to regulate, men who want to exercise authority and say, oh, we need this, we need bigger schools, we need health care, we, we need to go to war, we need all this stuff, and they want to exercise authority over you. And... Uh, they say it's for your own good, but really it's so that they will, it's all about power. And you see that all through the bureaucracies of the world government, is that the, the bureaucracies want to exercise power and control. Oh, stand in line, behind the yellow line, do this, not allowed, not allowed. You can only do it this, and you can only do it on this day, and you have to pay this much. And you think you're free? You're not free. You're in bondage. You're back in the bondage of Nimrod, back in the bondage of Pharaoh. You've gone whoring after the gods that you have chosen for yourself, the men who rule over you. What you do in your churches is show. What you do in your churches is just to make you feel good. It's not to be good. And that's what we're supposed to be. What must you do to obtain eternal life? They asked Christ that, and he told you, keep the commandments. So what are those commandments? There's lots of them. There's at least ten of them. You can break them down into two, like Christ says. But there's, there's ten commandments, and that's what you must keep. And if you believe, it's not that hard to keep them. It's really not that hard to keep them if you really believe. You know, if you, if you love uh, pistachio ice cream, it's not that hard to eat it. It's easy to eat it if you love it. But if you hate, uh, I'm trying to think of a food that people would might hate, and uh, supposedly little kids are, hate uh, broccoli, but uh, my grandkids love them. They call them trees. I want some more trees. Because they love them, they learn to love them because that's the way they've been raised, you know. That's, it's great to them. Actually, you know, I have one grandson, uh, he doesn't like cake. <laughs> he says, that, oh, it's too sweet. <laughs> and we're not even talking store-bought cake. We're talking uh, the cake that, uh, that we might make, which has about half the sugar or maybe even less. But he says, oh, that's too sweet. I don't like sweet. Give me some more trees. He wants to eat the broccoli. But the point is, is that if you, if you learn to love the ways of God, they are easy. And the ways of God are laid out in the Ten Commandments. And the first of the commandments is no more important than the last of the commandments. Because if you break one of the laws, you break all of the laws. What law were they breaking at the time of Jesus Christ? At the time of Herod, they set in the motion a system of Corbin that you could enroll for. You could enroll in the system of Corbin. 
whereby once your name is on the register, you had to pay in because the men who ran that system of Corbin exercised authority one over the other. And that is what they were doing, was exercising authority one over another by compelling the contributions of the people. You had to pay in under statutory requirements. And those statutory requirements were called taxes. Does your master pay the tax? And Peter said yes, and Jesus pulled him aside and said, Peter, you've, you've said wrong. Who owes this? Who must pay the tax? He said, but eventually he said, because you said it, you know, we must do it now. And so you go down to the, the water, and there you'll find a fish with two coins in its mouth, and bring them. And he brought them, and he says, here they are. And he says, okay, you said it. You pay it. You pay the tax. And that's what they did. They paid the tax because he said it. And you may do, have to pay the tax, too, because you said you would. But if you continue in the ways of Christ, they will cast you out, just like the blind man who professed Christ. He said he had to profess Christ because Christ had healed him. He was blind, and now he sees. And that's what we need to do. We need to learn to see but we need to learn to see with Christ's eyes. We need to see with the eyes of the apostles, the eyes of the early church, and see that how did you get enrolled in that system of Corbin set up by the Pharisees and King Herod? You got baptized. That's right. Herod was baptizing. And then you were registered. In that baptism, you, your name would be taken down and you would be added to the registry. If you read our article on our website, hisholychurch.org, you, you can go and look for the, the article, Are Christians Idiots? Kind of a grabber there on the title of that article. But it's not what you think. And maybe it is what you think, but it, it, will, <laughs> it will surprise you. The uh, the uh, the apostles were referred to in the Greek as being idiotes, idiotes, and they translate that and the other descriptive words there as unlearned. But really, what the words mean is unregistered. They were not on the rolls. They were out of the world. They were in the world, but not of the world. They were not on those registries. They were separate. And they were the early church. They say there is another king when Jesus. They were separate because they got baptized too, but they got baptized by the apostles. And when you got baptized by the apostles, you were kicked out of the system of Corbin set up by the Pharisees. You couldn't be a part of that anymore. But you would become a part of Christ's holy church, his holy church, his holy system of social welfare, based not on force and forced contributions, 
but based upon love for one another, relationships of one another. But how do you operate in an international system of social welfare where your membership does not bind you to do anything? You don't have to pay into anything. The leaders of that institution could not exercise authority one over the other like the benefactors or the men who called themselves benefactors of the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles, who said, yeah, we'll, we'll give you benefits. We'll give you lots of benefits. We'll give you health care. We'll give you social welfare. Paul tells you that welfare will make be a snare to you. Those agreements, we don't have those agreements with them because we're taking care of one another. And that's how the relationships grow. Is because that when you have a need, they will be there for you in that need. So we need to take a look at that and understand what that early church was actually doing. They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's the right to be ruled by God instead of by the small g gods, which you have chosen for yourself. How did you choose them? You said, you provide for us, protect us, take care of us, camizo, take care of us, and we will be a part of your cosmos your organized system or constitutional order of government. And when your lawmakers say, we must pay in, we will pay in because we have to, or you will punish us because you are the benefactors who exercise authority. But you're only benefactors with what you take away from your neighbor. That's coveting your neighbor's good. You're not to be doing that. So how did the church do that? Well, they actually did that more efficiently, more successfully, more capably than the systems of Rome. And the Roman bureaucracy was extremely efficient at one time because they were born out of a system much like that of early Israel. They had their tens, hundreds, and thousands. They gathered together in their hearth. Ten families would gather together. It's from those families that they mustered their first army. The first armies of Rome were unpaid. Unpaid armies. They were militia. They came together and fought to protect each other because there was a hue and cry in their society where they cared about each other's rights as much as they cared about their own a message given to us by Moses, repeated by Christ. But today, we don't do that in this society. People are raped in the streets and murdered in the streets, and people say, oh, it's not about the police will be here. They will take care of it. Who are the police? Oh, those are the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. In God's kingdom, you are the police. In God's kingdom, it is your responsibility to take care of one another. And we hope and pray that you will take care of one another. And Christ's prayer was that you love one another and take care of one another. 
because he knew you would need to do that because you could no longer depend upon the princes of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other because he said it wasn't to be that way with you. When he appointed the kingdom to the apostles, he said you aren't to be like the princes. Why did he tell them they aren't to be like the princes? Because he's about to appoint them the princes of the kingdom, the little flock that are the bureaucracy, the clerks, the clergy of the kingdom. And they have a job to do. Preach, you're not to covet your neighbor's good. Preach, you are to love one another. Preach, you are to say your prayers to God the Father in heaven and not to the men who are the fathers of the earth the men who exercise authority, the men who compel the tribute. You're not to pray to them for your benefit, for your needs. You're to pray to God. And who supplies those needs? Those who love God. And if you're amongst those who love God, who call God your Father, who seek His permission, seek His grace, seek His benevolence, then that's where you're going to be praying. And you pray in where? In the church. What church? Is that a building? Or is that a people? Do you let your neighbors know that, help, I'm in a ditch. Help, I'm in debt. Help, I'm having uh, uh, health problems. Is that where you pray, or do you pray somewhere else? Apply, pray, same words. So we need to take a good look at the way in which we are operating in the world. Are we dependent on being of the world? Or are we just in the world and dependent upon God and his holy church, which is consistent of you? And we're going to be looking at these ideas and how they are actually spelled out in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, two witnesses, they're in agreement. There's this idea somehow that the Old Testament was done away with. Only the New Testament is what we have today. Well, the Old Testament, the precepts upon precepts of the Old Testament are still here in the New Testament, repeated in the New Testament, as we just said. Moses said, love thy neighbor as thyself, and Christ repeated that. Unfortunately, much of our perception of the Old Testament is dependent upon the opinions of the Pharisees as to what Moses meant, and we know from Christ that they did not understand Moses. Because he said, if you knew Moses, you would know me. Why? Because they were saying the same thing. They were teaching the same system. It wasn't any different. The problem is, is our opinion and perception of the system of the Old Testament is tainted with falsehood. And we have articles that explain that. Now, with a book this winter sometime, if I get it. Right now, this is, uh, this is the fall of 2012 when we were making this show. And we're at the... Uh, 
Burning Bush Festival, our fall festival. We call it the Burning Bush Festival. It's kind of a nickname that has been applied to our fall festival. And we've got quite a group here this year out on the church property. And uh, we have uh, that we built. equipment for the outdoor kitchen and uh, the yurts that we're setting up and other tents that we're setting up. And, of course, other people are bringing tents and they've parked RVs here. And uh, we have an agreement with the local RV that they can go and dump there. And, uh, so we're out here on a 1,000 acres of ground. Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com What year is it? The year of the Lord God the Pope? 2012 according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar? Or 5940 since creation according to the Bible? Did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology? from the creation in His Word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath or seventh millennium from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapture escape? Or is it about 60 years off? See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I save my back and hundreds of dollars, too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide for my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of use. And then you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. 
welcome back to Kings of the Kingdom. Yeah, we're out here in the middle of the high deserts, uh, overlooking uh, about uh, 900 acres of uh, meadows and de high desert ground. And we have a large group of people that are meeting here. We've got people, tents scattered out all over the desert floor. We've got room for a lot more, and we'll have a lot more events as uh, time goes on. We're, we're setting up our facilities for the first time here in uh, Summer Lake. And uh, we've got people from New York and uh, Georgia and uh, trying to think of all the places, North Dakota, uh, of course, California and Oregon, uh, Texas, uh, I can't, I'm not, like Iowa, uh, not coming to Illinois. Uh, we're getting people from all over the country. We've had people from as far away as Australia. And uh, there's, this is an assembly. This is a feast that they used to have in the Old Testament. And they actually had them in the New Testament. And there's a reason for this. And it's a very important reason. Because as we were talking before, how did the early church do the functions of what had been done by government? Governments of Judea, the governments of Rome, and many of the other governments, which was to supply a social welfare system to the people to help them out in time of needs. Where sometimes those needs were catastrophic needs. Uh, sometimes those needs were just local needs. You know, you you were blind, and they helped you out, and they provided for you, like the blind man that Christ gave sight to. He was cast out of that temple, that system. What people didn't understand and don't understand today is these temples were actually where you went to get your social welfare, and there was two different ways in which they ran them. What They all depended on a sacrifice. You had to give up something to provide the funds and the items of welfare, you know, food and shelter and all these that all cost money. It, it required that you have these provisions of food. Rome was big on having these provisions of grain that they put in these huge, like the, the harbor of Trajan, uh, where they had like 16 acres of grain bins that they filled up and they gave away the grain and the bread that they would make from this grain to the needy of their society. And this is part of their welfare. And this was done through the temples that it required that you register. And the Romans had you registering at the Temple of Saturn. But there was also the Temple of Roma. And uh, Herod even built a Temple of Roma where you could go and register. And then you would be supplied welfare if you fell on hard times and if you had needs and they had the but you had to pay in they did the same thing through the temple at jerusalem and the funny thing is is that anywhere if you read in the old testament the temple was often you know this is how they served the tents of the congregation the tabernacles of the congregation because see each of you is a tabernacle and the reason they had a tent originally rather than a stone building is because as soon as you make a stone building, it becomes a central focal point. And the, you you want to be the living stones of the temple, not a building. 
not a fortress, not a central treasury. I love where you have a big vault and you put all the funds in that, or a golden statue that will be called the reserve fund by the people, like the golden statue that was in Athens, or the golden statue that was in the uh, Walden camp of the Israelites when Moses went up the mountain and they all decided to let's make a golden calf like we did in Egypt, you know, centralized treasury where all the gold is kept there. No, Moses wants the gold to be in the hands of the people, and each family is part of that tabernacle. It is a living tabernacle that walks around, and, and the treasury of that kingdom is in the hands of everybody because the responsibility of taking care of your neighbor is in the hands of everybody. Everybody has to be a part of that social welfare system because you're the treasurers. You're literally the grassroots porters of the kingdom because the ministers don't get anything from you unless you choose to give it. See, in the systems of the world, they choose that you have to give it and they make you give it. And then you, they take it and they decide who gets it. Unfortunately, there's a certain cronyism and simony and, and a certain bribery of influence uh, by such a system because you've given them power to choose how much you're going to give, when you're going to give, how it's going to be redistributed. In the kingdom... You empower your ministers when you give to them. You say, here is 10 bucks. Use it wisely. If they don't use it wisely, you don't give them 10 bucks next time. You look for somebody who will use it wisely. Your tithe is a tax. You don't have to tithe. You tithe to them according to your their service. And this is one of the misconceptions that we have is somehow or other the Levites could compel the tithing. Were the Levites kicking in people's doors and forcing them to contribute? Well, obviously, if if uh, ten families did not contribute to a Levite, he probably wouldn't do the jobs and services of a Levite, just to take care of the needy of their society, provide for the needy of their society. And that is what the Levites, the church in the wilderness, were doing. They didn't need a golden calf. They didn't need a central treasury. They didn't need a ruler who could exercise authority. They had the right to decide themselves, but they had to have a way in which to do structure in which to do that. And the Levites, because they were the bravest, they were the ones who came out. You remember Moses says, come out. He doesn't go into the camp. He stands outside and says, come out. And they came out of the walled-in camp. <coughs> uh, what, what did that mean to do that, to come out of that walled-in camp? They had already broke off their earrings, their gold and their silver, and, they, and, and, and their gold earrings anyway, and put it into this central treasury, this golden calf. When they left the walled-in camp, they left that wealth behind. Their share in that system was negated. They no longer were going to have access to that system of 
central treasuries of golden calves. They, they did this in all the city-states. It's, it's common to study history. And this is why they made these golden statues. And I gave the example of, of Athens, who had the golden statue just like that. It wasn't a calf, it was a man. But it was a golden statue, Athena. They did another statue of her. Why? Did you know they called those statues the reserve fund? Do you know that uh, Pericles actually sawed the statue up and melted it down to make coins to pay the army? They didn't like it that they got into the reserve fund. What's the reserve fund? That's actually your Social Security. What they called the reserve fund was your Social Security that operated through faith, hope, and charity. That's how they did it. That's how they took care of one another, through faith, hope, and charity. But when the systems became democratic, they soon became socialistic. Marx, Karl Marx said he loved democracy because democracy leads to socialism and socialism to communism. And communism, anybody who studied history, every country that became communist became totalitarian dictatorships where the people suffered immensely, died by the tens of thousands, even by the millions, in the Soviet Union and other places. Now, socialism doesn't work, and Christ was not a socialist. But he does want you to take care of the needy of your society. But he wants you to use God-given common sense in the doing of that. And how does he do that? How did the early church do that? That Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Don't eat of what? Don't eat of the offerings that were made, the Corbin. Corbin means offering, sacrifice. That's what it means. That's the definition of the word in the Hebrew. And when they said, referred to the, the Corbin of the Pharisees, making the word of God to none effect, why? Because it is based on covetousness. It is based on someone who could exercise authority and force, force you to tithe, force a tax upon you, compel you to pay in, force you to have health care. That's, that's very important to understand. I'm getting some feedback. I hope we're still on the air and we're getting in. But uh, I'm going to keep on going. I hope this is still working in this broadcast. Um, yeah, the importance of understanding this idea of taking care of each other, loving one another as Christ loved us, is really a essential part of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because his Corbin was a righteous Corbin. It was a sacrifice that you had the power to choose to make or not make. You could choose who you were going to support as a minister of your society instead of 
the administers of societies that force you to contribute. This is the ways of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom of God operated. And it was dependent upon you gathering together with other families that are seeking that same kingdom in that same way. And you went on record saying, we are with this family and this family and this family, but you did not incorporate. You did not, because anytime you incorporate, you diminish the family, because incorporation requires that you vest some rights in the corporation. And in the kingdom of God, you do not do that when you form a congregation, a family. The only thing you invest is your offering. Never your right to choose to offer. Never your right to provide for your neighbor. You choose to give. You give to a minister of your choice, a man who is a man of service. And then he tends to the need of your society. Why do that? If you only have ten families, you can just do that yourself. You could just provide for each other, right? I mean, you know, I mean, ten families, that's not hard to keep track of. And, you know, that's nine friends. You, you don't need a minister to do that. You can do that without the minister. You can just develop the relationships amongst you. You're all buddies, and you got your little group, and you take care of one another. Great. And you should do that. That's not kingdom. That's congregation. You're taking care of each other. Great. That's that's half the battle. But you're not kingdom yet. How do you become kingdom? How do you be a part of the kingdom? And this is a major task of your ministers, to be a part of the kingdom, is to... Be connected with all those other congregations out there. Now, I've, I've met a lot of people that have been showing up here in the last few days, but I, I'm, I'm really bad at remembering names, and I'm not going to remember everybody. And we've got more people showing up today, and some of them I know, but we, you know, the last person that showed up that I saw last night, I never met him before. Didn't know who he was. But he heard about our gathering here and so he came out but it's so important that you become a part of a congregation on record saying that together with these nine families or ten families or twelve families and we pick this minister and that minister now has a job not only to take care of your needs with the offerings provided by your friends there in that congregation but to connect you with the next congregation and the next and the next and the next. Well, it would not be hard for him to keep track of nine other congregations, you know, and he would do that by gathering together with the ministers of those congregations and say, how's, how's things going? You guys able to take care of all the needs of your society, your congregation, your part in the society? And that's what he would do is take care of all those needs according to the means you give him. But when 
he gathers with those other ten ministers. He gets to know them and has an intimate relationship with them, learns to trust them, learns to know, are these men of honor? Now, he may go by and visit the other congregations from time to time, but he can't be there all the time because he has his own congregation. But a relationship is developed between him and these other men. It's not a philosophical relationship. It's an actual relationship based on actual service, actual provision, actual sacrifice, actual caring. Now you have your congregation and 90 other congregations, or at least nine other with this first level of the network that was the kingdom, where you're connected with these nine other congregations through your minister who knows personally, firsthand, the ministers of these other congregations and sometimes many of the people within those congregations. But those ten ministers, they pick a minister, too. They pick a minister that they look to. And what's his job? To help connect them with the other 90 congregations that are gathering together in local areas. Now, these ministers, they don't live right next to each other because they live right next to their congregation. It's what we call the congregation that they have together as ministers is what we call a long-distance congregation. You're not right next door. You're often maybe miles apart. Now, if you're in a city, maybe you're only a few miles apart, but if, if some of those ministers are in other towns, you may be very, very far apart. And, of course, when you get to the next level, the likelihood of being farther and farther apart are greater and greater and greater. But this is kingdom. Still, the critical things are, is not only that you you care about your neighbor as much as yourself, but that you care about your neighboring congregation as much as yourself. And that's very important, that you care about them as much and it's not hard to do like that eating broccoli or pistachio ice cream that we talked about it's not hard to do because love your neighbor as yourself therefore you will love your neighboring congregation as yourself and that's that's an essential element of the kingdom and in our next show next part of the show we're going to go over the Old and New Testament, because hot off the presses, my notes have just arrived <laughs> here in the studio, in our remote studio. <laughs> I left them on the printer this morning, so we've been winging it. But I think this is an important part of this message. It's going to take more than one hour to get to you. So we're going to be sharing exactly how this worked in the Old and New Testament. And it's right there in the text. And, and you need to know how that is or was the way of the kingdom so that you can begin to follow that way too. And there are great benefits with that, great possibilities with that, great potential. It is the ultimate, the kingdom of God is the ultimate survival tool, ultimate survival tool, the ultimate preparedness um activity because you're going to be creating relationships with people 
that care about each other as much as they care about themselves, but also their neighbors as much as they care about themselves. And you'll, you have to guard against this because it's very common in a local congregation that you, you get the gregarious nature of your society of connecting and being satisfied and you feel okay because I've got others around me. I, I don't feel so isolated. We have some people here very isolated, uh, you know, where they live and because of their particular location and and some many of their family members are not there anymore and so therefore they they really don't know a lot of other people and they don't get to talk with other people all the time. And, you know, they're elderly and they're retired and that's a shame. But, so they, they need this connection with other people but that can be satisfied with a little congregation and then you forget about kingdom which is what about all the other congregations which is why we have these festivals so you can get together with all the other people and realize that the kingdom is more than just your local congregation and realize this so that you place equal importance upon those other congregations and, and we have a lot of fun doing it now we have sheep out here in the field, and they're not quite down here yet, but they'll be down shortly. And uh, we noticed something this last week, that there was a small group of 11 sheep that broke off and went up the side of the mountain by themselves. They were still together. They stuck together as a little group, and this is a little congregation. And those of you maybe they come out here we'll show you how the sheep operate these are rain sheep they just roam around out here on the church property the gate front gates open about 99 percent of the time and they don't go out they don't leave they stay here the, the gates just wide open 16 foot wide gate just wide open you drive in drive out walk in walk out sheep are out here in the field and they don't go out to the gate they know where the gate is and occasionally they will go out to the gate, but you know what? They just go over to the other place. <laughs> and we see them, and we've cut them off several times, and we tell you stories about that. But they out in that herd of 100 or so sheep, they are broke up into small groups. And if you watch, and we can point this out, we'll show you that they're broke up into small groups where this group of sheep stay with each other. They stick with each other. But the... All those little groups also stick together with the whole flock. But we had this little flock last week that broke off, separate, and went another way. And they went up on the mountain, and it's really dangerous up there on that mountain because it's just covered with coyotes. I was just up there the other day, and there are coyote tracks everywhere. And now why are they doing that? There's actually a couple of sheep in there that are, well, actually there's about half of them are lambs almost. But they're... Uh, they're what we call model face sheep. They're a mixed breed, and we don't keep them for the herd, but we had a black buck that we let in with these, and these all go to butcher. But hopefully they go to butcher to feed people and not coyotes. <laughs> and anyway, they don't have the gregarious instinct of these range sheep because they're what they call a farm flock. They have been sensed in so long that they don't, have any sense of that gregarious instinct to the strength and 
of the potential that you need in order to be free-roaming rain sheep because they'll just wander off. Now, they want to be with some animals, some sheep, but they don't care about the whole flock. They get their little congregation, and they just wander off and head up the mountain. And that is extremely dangerous. And we'll show you why that's extremely dangerous, and it's something every congregation must guard against. And when we talk more about this, we will explain why that's so important. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to... Now listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD. Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Oh, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about congregations, uh, and we've spent an hour already doing it. And uh, but now we're going to take a little bit of a look at uh, the idea in, uh, uh, that we see in the biblical text. Uh, as I've said before, the Old and New Testament are based upon the same precepts because God is the same yesterday as he is today. And it's often our misunderstanding of what they were actually doing in the Old Testament that makes us think that the Old Testament precepts are done away with. They are not. Christ says, if you knew Moses, you would know me, because their message is not that different. Christ appears with Moses, and they are in agreement. The problem was the Pharisees had misinterpreted Moses, and therefore they were not in agreement with Christ. And many Christian groups today, as well as many Jewish groups today, are still following the ways of the Pharisees and missing the ways of Moses. And that's what we need to get back to because that is the ways of God. But Christ said it well, but we're going to take a look at the Old Testament here first. Uh, to understand the word congregations means within the context of the gospel of the kingdom, the use of the word can be examined by comparisons to the ancient text and the history and activities of those congregations. 
And we see several words in the Old Testament that are translated into the same single English word congregation. Uh, Eda is one of those words. And in that, has they have two letters, the zealous and the ayat. And these letters have meaning. And this is the way in which the Hebrew language is constructed, is that the letters each have meanings, and they put the letters together to create a word, just like Chinese and Japanese with their ideograms, except for the fact that instead of uh, 400 ideograms that they have as a basis of their language, there's only 24, 26 letters or maybe about 30 symbols that they use to express the ideas that compose the different words. But once you understand that, it begins becomes easier to understand the language and the fact that these words have fundamental meanings because those meanings are in the letters. And those two letters have uh, uh, appear in several other words that also are translated congregation. They're also translated company and and uh, gathering and assembly and multitude and people. They translate them a number of different ways, but they have specific meanings. And when we add those letters together, we get a certain understanding of them. The, the letter in, which is connected to the idea of divine providence, or I or well of God. Now, why would you uh, associate the idea of I or well of God Together, what is the well of God? W e l l. Well, the the benefaction of God, the blessings of God, the grace of God. And what is the eye of God? Why do they have that? Well, in ancient uh, folklore surrounding the language, we see that there are these five different states of the eye of God, as well as five different states of the well of God. And they have to do with both mercy and justice. God's eye sees justice. He also sees the need for mercy. He sees the need for what you need, but he also sees the need for what you don't need. In other words, he has discretionary charity. God gives you what you need to learn what you need to learn, just like a good father. He gives his son gifts. He gives his son uh, tools to do the things that he needs to do. But he also has to use discretion and not give his son too much. How many rich men's sons have we seen spoiled because the fathers gave them and gave them and gave them without discretion? They didn't discipline themselves. Well, God does. God knows not to give you too much. He gives you what you need to learn what you need to learn. And so... That idea is found and encompassed in that, that letter, and, which is found in this word that we see as congregation. The other letter <clears throat> that we see in the, uh, the word is the Della. The Della includes the meaning of selflessness and charity. Whenever you see that Della in there, that has to do with charity, with giving. Um, and it's giving as a door or a pathway. And, of course, the porters of the temple who received the contributions of the people were called gatekeepers, doorkeepers, because that was a part of the purpose of their position. 
ministers are gatekeepers. All ministers are gatekeepers. You give them a contribution, your charity, and they use it to provide for the needs of the people in selfless charity, free will offering. And this is the way the government of God has always worked. <clears throat> there is a, uh, another word that is translated congregation, and uh, it is it includes those letters of Ian and Dellis, but it also includes a letter uh, that is a uh, Bob. And uh, a Bob is a connecting letter, but it begins with the letter Mim. And Mim always has to do with flowing, like flowing water, when Moses hit the rock and water flowed from it which is another whole story in itself. What was actually going on there, what that is all symbolizing, is another part of this. But Mim has to do with flowing. So we have this letter that has to do with charity, and this letter has to do with discretion of God, the eye of God, the well of God, the uh, this divine providence of God, and a letter that has to do with flowing. And it's translated congregation. If it's translated congregation, and it has to do with the flowing of charity based on the leading of God, the providence of God, and we translate it congregation, it gives you an image, a picture of what a congregation is and how it develops those relationships. It develops those relationships by charity. And what is that charity, the purpose of it? To love your neighbor as yourself in a free assembly, a congregation of charity. Not a congregation of obligation, a congregation of contract, a congregation where you become a part of a corporate body, where now the body may decide things for you, but a congregation of faith, hope, and charity. And that congregation is very intimate because you get to know the members of your congregation intimately because they live next door or down the street. And you gather together weekly to find out what's been going on, what's been happening with you, what do you have needs, are you having any problems that we can help you with because we love you. And that's what a congregation does. And that's why you see those letters in the word that is translated congregation over and over again in the Old Testament. 124 times it's translated congregation, about 13 times it's translated company, <clears throat> and by nine times it's translated uh, assembly. And once uh, multitude, once people, and once it's even translated swarm. But that's what that word means, uh, and it's that edah word. But the Moed word, which is composed of very much the same letters, Eda has a hey on the end of it. Whenever you see a hey on the end of a Hebrew word, that ha that's an emphasis word. That means that it's something specific or something magnanimous, something more important. And a lot of times, especially in four-letter words where there's a hey on the end, that's a very emphasizing word. The the word in uh, Delith, <clears throat> is a two-letter word that appears by itself, and it also is translated uh, congregation. 
and it uh, has a specific uh, meaning of meet or together or assembly, appointed, uh, set, time, betrothed, uh, agreed, appointed, all those, uh, that single two-letter word is translated in all those different words. But when you add the hey on to it, it emphasizes that that meeting is a congregational meeting, a specific meeting. When you put the moan on the front of it, the, the mem on the front of it, and connect it with a vav, then we know that that congregation is specifically for the purposes of the flowing of charity, the providing of benefits by free will offering. But those are not the only words that are translated into congregation in the Old Testament. There's another word that is translated congregation that doesn't have any of those letters in it at all. None of those letters. So it's it's translated congregation from our point of view, but from their point of view, it's created completely out of different meanings because all the words in Hebrew are created out of the meaning of the letters. They put those letters together and form an idea. And we call that idea a word. The word is a symbol of that idea. In this case, the word is koala. And it is composed of uh, kuf and uh, lamad and a, uh, a hay in the middle of the word. And it's a three-letter word. Most Hebrew words are three-letter words. Those are complete words. It's actually from another word, but it's translated congregation about 86 times. It's translated assembly 17 times, company 17 times, just like the other word of Ida was translated company. It's translated multitude three times, just as Ida was translated multitude once. And uh, it means an assembly or a company. But it doesn't have that letter for charity in it or the, the letter for the divine providence of God in it. It has the letters of a Kuf and a Lamad in it. So its meaning is much different. And if we went through in the Bible and all those different places that that letter appears, we will see and understand that that uh, particular word had a different meaning, and we could go into that, but we're not going to be able to go into that in these short little programs, but these are things that your ministers should just know by second nature, and they should come out here and learn it if they haven't learned it already, and I, I can guarantee that in most seminaries they won't learn the, these distinctions, and so when you read congregation, you don't know whether they're talking the, the Kala or the uh, Moed or what word they're using there. And if the original authors of the Bible put different words there, we need to know because it will change slightly the meaning. It's not that to translate a congregation is wrong, but we have to know in what sense do they mean congregation because there's lots of congregations. The Pharisees had congregations. And that the Pharisees did not know Moses and did not know Christ. The Pharisees at the time of Christ were going the wrong way. They had taken a turn away from the ways of Moses and had gone the wrong way. Now, there's another interesting thing about that particular word, and uh, it's uh, this uh, koala. 
is uh, completely different letters, meaning uh, and where the word uh, translated. It uh, uh, into the word preacher. Uh, it appears in Ecclesiastes a number of times, and so we'll, we can we can look at that word and and see that the word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, and then they say vanity, vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, and we're seeing that word translated preacher. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher. Yeah, I think we're getting a little feedback from Skype here because I'm getting that, that noise again. But anyway, it says counting one by one to find out the count. But they're using this word uh, as, a, uh, as preacher, this and what that is is the same word that we see translated congregation, but it has a letter on the end, a tov, and it it refers to a public speaker or a collector of sentences, you know, verses, an assembly of uh, of rhetoric, and they talk about it vanity, vanity. That's using the same word that we see translated into congregation. And yet that's not the word that we see translated into congregation and a completely different word than we see translated elsewhere. And to understand that is, is very important in following the path as laid out in the Testament. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. When Jesus came, that was John 5:25. when Jesus came, he began to preach something that was different than what the Pharisees were used to, and, and many of the people of Judea, not just Pharisees, Pharisees was one group, there were other zealot groups, and there were smaller groups, and there were, of course, there were the Sadducees. But when Jesus began to preach, he began to tell them something that seemed different than Moses. It wasn't different than Moses, but it seemed different to them because they had strayed off this path. But only some people could hear Jesus. Others just got angry. Others thought he was a false prophet. Uh, people were even arrested for following Jesus. Uh, they were even killed for following Jesus by those who thought they were following Moses. But some could hear, and this is the same thing is going on today, is this is making sense, that if you want to be a free soul under God, you have to come together with others who want the same thing, who care about your desire to be a free soul under God as much as they care about their own. They are selfless. They are charitable people. They are hardworking individuals. These people are valuable. These people are the treasures of the kingdom because they're already hearing the ways of God and the ways of God come naturally to them just like eating that pistachio ice cream that I mentioned last week or earlier in the show. What, what is that uh, understanding in you? Is 
do you understand how important that is? Or do you just want to be like the sheep I talked about that gathered together in their own little congregation of 11 sheep and went up the side of the mountain into coyote country? Fortunately, this shepherd and and Brother Justin, who was here, uh, got around them. I did it first. I went up and got them to come down, and then they went up alone again. And then that late evening, they were still out in the desert, and all the other sheep had walked all the way back and went to the pen where they stay, the fold that they stay in at night. And they go back and put themselves away. They know. They have the sense to get out of the field because at night it is crawling. In the darkness, it will be crawling with coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions. And so they go up to the to the sheepfold and put themselves in it. We close the gate, but we don't close it to bind them in. We close it to protect them. And this is what you need to understand about congregation. The in Acts thirteen forty three we see now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Now we see that word congregation there, it's the only place in the New Testament that appears in the King James Bible, and it's actually translated from a word that we would think should be translated synagogue because that's what it is in in the Greek text. It is this word synagogue, which is translated synagogue 55 times in the Bible and translated congregation this one time. And it's also translated assembly. And it means bringing together or gathering as a fruit, a contracting uh, a synagogue, a contracting. Well, it doesn't mean a contract. It means a contracting. It means gathering together where you're out here, say you're on a block and there's 20 people on the block and 10 of them are in your congregation. And so when you gather together in an assembly, you're contracting the members of that block that are a part of your congregation into a smaller place. You're coming together. And, and that's good, but it's not good to contract where you create obligations by contract because that would be covenanting, saying, okay, we promise that we will pay in uh, $500 every month into the church. Well, then you, now you're promising something. What you're doing, the only thing you should be promising is that you, should, you are seeking the kingdom of God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, because you are also seeking to love your neighbor as yourself. You want to love God and love your neighbor. This is simple. It's not a contract. It's not an obligation like you have with the governments of the world. But that's because you're of the world and not just in the world. You've actually gone to the world and said, give us these benefits. Give us health care. Give us uh, free education. Protect us. Fight our battles. If if criminals come into our community, uh, you send your soldiers to protect us because we're afraid to protect ourselves or our neighbors. That's not kingdom. Kingdom, you will protect yourself from the, the murderers and the, the cutthroats and the bad guys of society. And 
that's what you, you want to do is gather together with other people who are willing to do that. And so the word synagogue doesn't mean a building any more than church means a building. It means a gathering, a coming together. And, of course, if you come together with ten families, that's a synagogue. That's a gathering. That's a congregation. Call it what you will. It's a gathering, a coming together. Now, if your congregation gathers with nine other congregations, that's a gathering, too. That's a congregation of congregations. Now, if we read in John 10, 3 to 27, it says, To him the porter openeth, remember the word porter means gatekeeper, and the sheep bear his, hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Those 11 sheep that went up the side of the mountain the other day, I called to them and said, get down, and they didn't come down. All the other sheep came down. But that 11 sheep stayed up there and looked back at me. They stayed together. They looked to each other, but they didn't come down. I had to go up and physically get around them and move them down. And even when they moved down to the other herd, they did not stay with it. So when the nighttime was coming, they were still outside the fold, and we had to chase them all the way back, you know, move them back. So we went out like the good shepherd and, and moved those 11 sheep back with a fold. But that's just sheep. In the real world where people are, the flocks of God, if they will not come back on their own, we have no way of bringing them into the fold. The predators of society will force them back into the fold. And... Uh, that's what's happened. Well, we have uh, we have border collies out here, and we seldom use the border collie to uh, move the sheep around. We don't need to because the sheep hear our voice, and they do and go where we tell them. But we've gotten to calling the border collie a black and white unit, and that's what the black and white units do, is that if they, they do go out to the gate, which is open now, and start heading out on the desert, we will go get a black and white unit, a border collie, <laughs> and... Uh, send them running back home because that is they are getting outside of the boundaries where they should be they need to find those boundaries and voluntarily go there and now that having done this for many years the sheep know we we're not going out there they also know because there are these coyotes and bobcats and mountain lions that will eat them up and if a if a coyote pack gets into a sheep the next day, there won't even be bones left on the ground. You'll just see tufts of wool there. And that's what's happened to many a Christian who wants to go his own way and does not want to gather, does not want to come together as the flock of God and to join together. And another analogy we see, another metaphor we see in the Old Testament when they talk about dry bones, and we've talked about that a number of times. Can these dry bones come together? Can they be of one flock? Can they be of one body? In Hebrews 12:23, we see the general assembly and church. They treat the general assembly and church as two different things. And they call it the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of just men made perfect. This church of the firstborn, what is that? The Levites were called the firstborn. 
they were out of the matrix, they say. And the matrix was the womb. That's the word for womb. And uh, that's why they made the movie Matrix and used the, the term Matrix. That's where they got it, from the Old Testament, because the Levites were the first ones to come out, to wake up, to realize that the walled-in camp of the golden calf was the wrong way to go, where you put your wealth all belonged to a central government. That was a bad thing. And Moses said, come out of that. And they came out. And they were the firstborn of God's kingdom because they came out of that walled-in camp. The, you have to remember the Israelites didn't, they weren't called out of Egypt. They were kicked out of Egypt. But the Levites were called out of the walled-in camp when they started to make their society like that of Egypt. And so we have uh, this general assembly on one side and the church of the firstborn on the other, which were the Levites in the wilderness, but were the apostles, the little flock, to Christ. They were the ones called out, kept separate. And it says, which are written in heaven. Now, that word written in heaven, that is a very interesting word. And we'll look at that in a minute, but let's look at General Assembly first. This General Assembly word is actually from two words. And the first part of that is pas, meaning individually, each and every, any, all, or the whole. But collectively, it means some of all types. The second part of that word is agora which is often translated market or marketplace or even street, but it actually isn't defined as market or marketplace. It's just it, when it's seen by itself, that's the way they translate it. But in, in fact, it is defined as any collection of men, congregation, or assembly, including the place of assembly for public debating, elections, and trials. So the General Assembly would be this collection of individuals who come together for the purpose of discussing things in public, uh, conducting elections and trials. Now, are there elections in your church? Are there elections in your congregation? Do you elect men? Well, yes, absolutely. You elect this minister to do a job, and you give him the funds to do it but you don't elect him to exercise authority over you. That's what you do in the world. When you are of the world, you go into the world and you elect men to exercise authority over you and over your neighbor to make sure your neighbor contributes enough so that you can have your public schools and your social welfare, and you force your neighbor to contribute to the exercising authority of those men you elect. And you don't want to be doing that. You do not want to be electing them in that way because they will. those are the benefactors or men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority. So this is what they were doing in the General Assembly is they would get together on days like Pentecost. Do that. We'll talk more about that when we return.
Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. What year is it? The year of the Lord God, the Pope? 2012, according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar? Or 5940, since creation, according to the Bible? Did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology from the creation in His Word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath, or seventh millennium, from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapturous date? Or is it about 60 years off? See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It? and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I saved my back and hundreds of dollars, too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide for my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at FirstAmendmentRadio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products. So when we're reading in uh, Hebrews 12:23, we see two things talked about, a general assembly and a church of the firstborn. So why do they divide these things into two different things? Both are literally congregations. I mean, the apostles were a congregation, 12 men. And the way the uh, certain groups at that particular time organized themselves was in groups of 12 men, just like the apostles. And they had 
a certain way in which they conducted the business of their community with these 12 men. They didn't rule over anything, but they were the entire community was divided off into groups of 10 families with a minister and a minister of ministers, and that made 12 men. And they repeated that pattern over and over again, and they took care of the social welfare needs of the, themselves. And they were all over Judea at that time, and as a matter of fact, they were all over the Roman Empire at that time. And they were well respected by both uh, Judeans and Romans. And it was out of that type of organization that Christ formed his church. And he formed his church in the same way, and that's what we see his church doing for the centuries after Christ came and established his church. And in this Hebrews quote, we are seeing that this general assembly and this church of the firstborn. Are you a part of the church of the firstborn? I mean, I've seen churches actually name themselves the church of the firstborn. But the church of the firstborn were really the apostles. They were the ones that were called out. They were the little flock. And the general congregation was absolutely essential for them in order to do the job that Christ gave them to feed his sheep. And that's what they were doing when they were making these decisions like we see in Acts. Look out amongst yourself, pick men you trust, we will appoint them over this business. That was the church of the firstborn appointing the men that you elected. When did you elect these men? In your general assemblies or general congregations where you came together in larger and larger groups. And they had a particular purpose, those seven men. And we see those seven men mentioned in the Old Testament. Pick yourself seven men. And they had the same function and the same role. But most people don't even know that they picked seven men in the Old Testament for the same purpose that they picked seven men in the New Testament in Acts 6. And are they doing that? Not if they're off up on the side of the hill in their own little tiny congregation separating themselves from the rest of the congregation, putting themselves and all their other group into jeopardy by taking them away from the flock so that they, they feel gregarious because they have their little flock, their little congregation, very dangerous. Don't want to go that way. So anyway, what is the church? And, uh, and oh, before we go there, one more thing we want to look at is this word written in heaven. The word written here is uh, apographo in the Greek. You would be surprised at where that word appears everywhere else in the New Testament. Because it appears a number of other times in the New Testament. It appears in Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and verse 3, and verse 5. And it's in this sentence. It says, it, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The word apographo is the word they translate into tax. And they translate it into tax in uh, verse 3 and in verse 5. And it says, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Excuse me. Uh, what, what do they mean? Were they taxed? There actually was no tax 
and there actually wasn't any census at that particular time in biblical history. There was something about a register or an enrollment, and that's actually what the word means. The word in the Greek is uh, defined uh, uh, apographo, but that's actually two words, and the definition, even though we see it translated tax, is to enter in a register or records, especially uh, or specifically to enter in public records the names of men and their property and income as an enrollment. Certainly, uh, uh, such enrollments may be for the purposes of taxation, but the word actually means enrollment. And that's what was going on. And, of course, uh, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem to be enrolled. But they, we also know that an angel appeared to them and warned them that Herod was looking for them. And they were left to go to Egypt. So did they get enrolled while they were there? Or did they leave before the enrollment took place? Because if they left before the enrollment took place, then they were not enrolled, and therefore Christ was not enrolled, and therefore Christ was separate. And, of course, that's why Peter was called idiotus. It's because he was not enrolled either. <laughs> Neither were the apostles enrolled in their system. They were separate. And that was very important because by being separate, they were literally a separate government because the bondage that the people were suffering at that time in Judea was the result of their enrollment in a system of Corbin that made the word of God to none effect. A social welfare system that was operated not by faith, hope, and charity, not by free will offerings, not because you saw your neighbor needed a coke and you shared like John the Baptist said, but like Herod, where you had to pay in, and they forced your offering, and then they guaranteed you the entitlements of their benefaction. That makes the Word of God an effect because it's not based on faith, hope, and charity, but it is based on force. And you don't want that system because it will weaken society. So what is the church? The church, in its most general sense, is a religious society founded and established by Jesus Christ to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines and ordinances. That is the definition we find in a law dictionary today. And what is the important element? It's established by Jesus Christ. It's not established by the Commerce Department. It's not established by the IRS. It's not established by the State Department. It's separate. It's established by Jesus Christ. It's a religious society, and we're speaking about the church in its most general sense, is to receive, preserve, and propagate his doctrines. His doctrines of what? That you should live by faith, hope, and charity. That you should not covet your neighbor's goods. That you should not rule over your neighbor. But you should love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you do that if you do not form congregations? Congregations that are free assemblies, but still a matter of record. It's not that you're enrolled in a congregation where your ministers can exercise authority. It's that you come together in a free assembly whereby you elect men and appoint them to do jobs 
that you think need to be done, and you choose to finance them in that job or not, because you are a freeman, an individual who is operating in a government based on freedom and the perfect law of liberty. That same definition that we just read, we can also go on to a second part of that definition that says that the church is a body or a community. And we saw that word body used over and over again in the definitions of the words congregation in the Old Testament. A body or a community of Christians united under one form of government by the profession of one faith. Faith in what? Faith and hope in charity, the charity of Christ, the charity of love for one another. Do we have faith in that or not? You say, oh, well, people won't take care of us if we go into a free assembly where we only have social benefits by faith, hope, and charity. They won't be there for us. Why? Because you don't have faith. History shows us that there have been countless societies that operated that well way and they operated well and they became strong societies societies of character and understanding but you have to decide whether you have faith or you want entitlements whether you want to glean in the field at night for your benefits and hope that your neighbor will be there for you or whether you want to pray to those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other you cannot be in both because you will end up having to serve two masters. Are you ready for the liberty of Christ? Are you ready for the righteousness of the kingdom of God? You probably aren't. But that's why we gather together in congregations to learn that. Somebody the other day was talking about they wanted to form a congregation of record with these other men, but they said, we need to get to know each other better. Why? You're not incorporating. You're not even an unincorporated association. You're just freely gathering. That is how you get to know one another, is to freely gather. Form on record say, we're going to try to get to know each other and become what we are testifying to. We believe that it is right that we should live by faith, hope, and charity. We believe that it is right that we should form small congregations of intimate groups of families and individuals and we need to believe that in order to seek the kingdom, we need to connect those individual congregations together with a network of ministers who are willing to serve in that capacity. We see the importance of that, and we are choosing to do that, to walk in that direction. And you take that step in that record, just like they got baptized. When they got baptized, that's what they came out of the water and started doing. When you form a congregation of record, you are literally baptizing yourself in the idea that you need to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is what you do when you come out of that witness that really bears witness to the truth of the statement that you put down on paper. You said that we're going to seek the kingdom, that we choose this minister that we make this offering, and now we're going to spend some time getting to know each other to find out whether or not we really are a congregation, whether we can become a congregation of the people, for the people, and by the people, instead of a government of the bureaucracy, by the Congress, 
and lawmakers uh, through the exercising of authority. Because that's your choice. Right now, the world is not a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, except for the people that covet one another's goods, who betray one another by exercising authority and sending the black and white units to your house to compel you to congregate and contribute to their welfare. That's not the ways of Christ. That is contrary to the ways of Christ. That is the antithesis of the ways of Christ. That is Antichrist. The early church was a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. The early churches in America that took care of all the social welfare of those early colonists were embryonic republics. A republic is not a democracy or an indirect democracy like the United States or, or, or many of these other countries have become. It is not a, a socialist democracy uh, that you want to belong to. It is the kingdom of God that you want to be a part of and turn towards his ways, doing his things. Look at what we see in John 13:34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. In John 15, 9, the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. This is what your congregation should be doing. It shouldn't be going up the hill. It should be gathering together with other congregations. John 15:12. This is my commandment. This is Christ saying this, that ye love one another that I have, as I have loved you. That's what you should be doing. You cannot do that if you isolate yourself or isolate your congregation. You cannot do that from the pew by repeating words and going through rituals and singing songs. Love requires sacrifice. Every parent, every good parent knows that. Every good husband knows that. Every good wife knows that. It requires forgiving. This is why Christ talked about giving and forgiving so much. And you, this, in order to immerse yourself in his society, you must immerse yourself in the doing of what he is saying here. In Acts 7, 38, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angels, which spake to him in the Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us. We are to be the lively stones of his temple. When we read in Exodus 18:21, it says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. They don't covet their neighbors. They aren't socialists. And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now that's really a poor translation when they put the word ruler there because you think they're ruling over you, but it's actually, if you go back and we don't have time to go into it, the word there that they have for ruler is not arco that you see in the Greek. 
it's not an exercise in authority. It's an exercise in responsibility. It's a word that means representative leaders of the people, titular leaders of the people. They have no power to force the contributions of the people, but they do have power over that which the people give them. And the people watch what they do with it, and if they do well with it, they give them more. If they don't do well with it, they don't give them more. They hold back. But they are a general assembly of people who come together making free will offerings for the purposes of Christ, the purposes of Moses, which are the purposes of God, that all men should be free under him. But many men choose to go out and make governments that exercise authority. And that's fine if they want to do that, because that is what those governments are there, to punish the wicked. And who are the wicked? The ones who reject God, will not be ruled by God, will not be that free-flowing source of charity and love for one another. They should have such governments and will have such governments and do have such governments. And, they sh and those governments serve a purpose, just like you see described in Samuel 8. Read Samuel 8. They will take and take and take and take until you cry out. And God will not hear your voice in that day because of the gods that you have chosen for yourself. But if you repent and turn around and start coming back like the prodigal son, start coming together with other families, seeking to be a righteous people, then then God will hear your prayers. The more you walk in his ways, the more he will hear, because his sheep hear his voice. And so anyway, when we have more gatherings out here, we'd like to have your congregations come. We'd like you to become congregations of records so that we can work and share with you all the information on how a congregation can operate and survive. But we want you to do that because we care about you, not just because we care about ourselves. We care about your children and your grandchildren. I hear children in the distance gathering <clears throat> around the uh, outdoor kitchen here, out here at uh, the festival that we're having this year. And they're playing with each other and seeing each other and forming those relationships that they will have for the rest of their lives and to come back to subsequent festivals. That is what that word congregation, you see, is actually in the Old Testament, is actually derived from a word that means festival. The same with the word general assembly. It comes from a word that means festival. And we'll, we'll be putting up articles on the net on His Holy Church that will explain this in greater detail. And you can read it at your own leisure and chew upon it and think about it. And we have ministers in many areas that are already learning this in great depth, and you should be forming study groups so that you can begin to understand this. But most important of all, you need to be doing it. Jesus said strive. Jesus said seek. Jesus said repent. Turn around. Go the other way. And that's the way we should all be going. And many of us who hear his voice have begun to turn around and began to go the other way. But it's up to you to do it. If God gives you the gift of understanding, if he opens your eyes to see 
but you do not do, then he will take away your sight, and you will see no more.